Welcome to the TW Sports Group Podcast. I'm Tim Waring. Today we'll be speaking to Stephen McKenna. Stephen has been working in football, or soccer as he would call it, for over 15 years. He's currently the assistant coach of the women's soccer side at NC State University, a Division I program that plays in the top conference in the country, the ACC. He's originally from Bangor, Northern Ireland, and currently lives in Raleigh, North Carolina. Stephen has worked on both sides of the Atlantic, not only in college soccer, but in youth game in America, and also has had a stint at the Irish FA in their primary schools program before moving back to America and working at the highest level in college coaching in the States. But he would argue that his favorite coaching stop was here with me at TW Sports. Sit back and enjoy this episode with Stephen McKenna. Good morning, morning. Stephen. How are you? Morning, Tim. Doing well. How are you? I'm good, thanks. The listeners are going to look forward to this one. (laughs) Tell everybody whereabouts are you in the world. I'm currently right now in Raleigh, North Carolina. Perfect. And you say Raleigh, you just say, makes me think of BMXs. Yeah, yeah. funny. um, That didn't really occur to me until my my mum sent through a picture of me when I was a kid at Christmas. And uh, yeah, I was was on a Raleigh bike and I was like, oh, yeah, I wonder wonder if there was a link there. You see, there's going to be some people listening to this that won't have a clue about that, huh? I'm sure me. Yeah, true. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, what, what time is it with you now then? Bright and early at six a.m. So there's yeah five hours behind, but we uh, we train at eight uh, during the season. Um, like the the team are, are on the pitch at eight, so we're we're typically in the office by six forty five seven, and then we're we head out there as a coaching staff to get set up around seven fifteen. So I'm used to used to early starts. Brilliant, and and give us a wee bit of background about the place. What what kind of place is it like in America? Raleigh and uh, weather conditions and. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's sort of considered the south, but it's on the it's on the east coast. Uh, North Carolina is right right under the state of Virginia uh, that, that hugs the east coast, sort of. And you get uh, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and then obviously above it's Virginia, Pennsylvania, and then New York, and, uh, Massachusetts. So it sort of makes up the 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 east coast. And Raleigh kind of sits in in there. Uh, uh, right under, right under Virginia, and um, it's it's a state that um, has shown a lot of growth in the the last sort of ten fifteen years. They have uh, a sort of the, the, it's a experiencing a bit of a tech boom at the minute. Apple have just came here and and are setting up a, a campus in Raleigh, so it kind of has a um, still has sort of like a bit of southern charm to it uh, mm-hmm. as a as a city but it is it is becoming a lot more modernized um, like some of the other east coast cities that are bigger than it washington dc philly you know uh, even baltimore so mm-hmm. uh, yeah it's been it's been home now for a few years and uh, weather's a bit warmer than back home so, <laughs> uh, uh, you know to i got up today and outside it was uh, 70 degrees so that's somewhere in the mid 20s i think so yeah, be uh, here tops off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> all, all us local Northern Ireland guys with a big red hooter at the end of the day, lobster face, like. But uh, yeah, here is always this overcast, Stephen. It's cloudy. It's gloomy. <laughs> <laughs> but well, we're going to park that there. I'm going to come back to there. But I want to start sure. right back and get in your journey. So tell us a wee bit about growing up in Bangor, Northern Ireland, 
about school life, about football and so forth and family? Yeah, yeah, I was, um, you know, grew up, I was a sort of child of the 80s and 90s, um, growing up in, in Bangor. Um, all my life lived at my, my, my parents and my mother still lives in the same house that, that, that I grew up in in Bangor. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for, for many people, Familiar with Northern Ireland and our and our um, interest in history, uh, Bangor was sort of a little untouched by uh, the troubles, um, but it, it it gave gave me great perspective growing up. Um, as a, you know, not to get too much into politics and religion, but we're from Northern Ireland; it goes hand in hand. So, uh, you know, I was a Catholic growing up in 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 a majority Protestant town, but never really. I uh, never really experienced too much strife. Um, I don't think it was because we were shielded from it. Um, I just think that people kind of got on with life, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And football is actually one of the, one of the things that, you know, as a as a kid in Bangor, um, then it didn't really matter what what you looked like or where you were from. Um, uh, f- kind of football was a was a tool and if you were a decent player you played you, you could play on any team in Bangor so mm-hmm. um uh I, it also you know I, I I was as a as a Catholic running around Bangor I was I was in the BB for which which was something probably other people didn't get the experience but that's where that's the friends I grew up with and lived in my street they went to BB so they would invite me um, mm. e- equally, then you know when I started going into my teenager teenage years, and I was and I was playing Gaelic football in North Down, um, those boys would want to come and play Gaelic football with me too. So uh, uh, we, I was very fortunate that um, that I, I have a, a core group of of friends um, from my childhood that uh, I still keep in touch with today. That that. When other parts of Northern Ireland were sort of experience, experiencing the sectarian divide, it 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 didn't really affect us too much. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I went to school in Belfast. I went to Our Lady St Patrick's College, knock up there in East Belfast, uh, and again, kind of really, uh, I wasn't that smart smart in school, but I worked I worked hard. Like and uh, actually got the old eleven plus days. I got a three, and my, my parents had to go sort of beg steal and borrow to get me into the school but uh once it once i got in i kind of uh, i grafted worked hard was deputy head boy my last year so it was sort of my mum was always really proud of me for that so uh mm. yeah um, um and again very very lucky uh you know my, my my mother was from Derry and my, my father was from tyrone and um to uh grow up in bangor but then to get to to go to um, you know, walk McCloy and Tyrone every other weekend, or 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 drive up to Derry to, to see my grandparents and my, my cousins and stuff. Um, I think that added a little bit uh, to you know it was a, another chapter in my book that even even boys that I was going to school with in Belfast that that, that you know they didn't they didn't have parents that were necessarily from different parts of, of Northern Ireland either. So then I, you know I grew up I had friends in Derry, I had friends in Tyrone, and um, that. Very, very. My, my father passed away in 2015, but he would have been very, very, very happy to uh, have seen Tyrone win the All Ireland. There, there was many a time we were we were at All Ireland finals together over the years. So I was mm-hmm. thinking about him um, over the weekend when Tyrone 
one Sam Maguire, you know. So yeah, I was going um, to bring that up there because that was a, a big final. Were you able to watch it in the states? Uh, we we were tra- we were on the road. We were traveling, so I was sort of picking it up on Twitter. Um, and uh, obviously saw some of the, the build-up to it and a little bit of uh, the COVID controversy around that. Um, it's great to see sort of Gaelic games in general being embraced by by more... Uh, so it gets a lot of media coverage other as well, but um, it's kind of good to see um, the North kind of fall, like supporting Northern teams, uh, uh, especially when they when they go down to play some of the, some of the teams for Sam, you know, uh, so yeah, it was good. Great result for Tyrone. Yeah, fantastic. And and what I'm intrigued about is uh, then football and wise playing wise for yourself. Who who did you play for and what position? Yeah, I was a I was sort of like a one club man. I was um there. There's actually there's a club here in Bangor called Bangor Swifts, and um, I I can't remember. But I was trying to think about it whenever you you know, were talking to me about this I was, I was trying to think about how I, I end up getting involved in the club uh, there's there is a picture that the club have of like their first u12 team and um i was in that and and there was actually several of the the, the kids that are in that team went on you know we played all youth football for the club together and then ended up playing you know for the uh for the first team together some of the some of the guys are still uh involved in the club either uh, and now their now their kids are back in the club, and they're you know there's there's a bigger a bigger setup, um, mm-hmm. and I think that that's when uh, through the club, um, that's where I met um, probably somebody who's, who's the, was the first most influential person in my my coaching career was a, a man called Marin King. So Marin um, Marin um, ended up he. He was he was the manager of the U18 team at Bangor Swifts, and um, he sort of in the in the nineties was was all into stats. If you remember, there was remember the show with uh, Badil and Skinner. Um, uh, oh, fantasy fan- football was it? Fantasy football, yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> yeah, Mern was kind of like Stato from fantasy football. He 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 was keeping stats. He used to keep stats on all of us um, U18 players before you know, the modern technology, he would do it all on uh, pen and paper and he would, mm-hmm. he would, he would rank every player. And it was only for him. Uh, like I never saw, I've never seen these, but he says his, his mom still has them in his, uh, in her garage somewhere. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he would rank every player every week and kind of kept um, in his head sort of uh, stats that uh, he, he, he used to, to, to compare us to each other. And, and that's how he kind of picked his, picked his team from week to week but sort of uh, and we'll get back to Mern when, when, when we talk about America but it was it was Mern who then he, he came over to the States um, first and uh, kind of recommended um, that, that I come over when I was when I was when I was 20 um, and so he kind of got me my first coaching job over here for the summer mm-hmm. um, and that goes back to to you know, Mern being my my U eighteen coach, we're still very good friends today. He lives in Illinois, um, and has had a different sort of coaching journey than I have. But very very grateful for as a player playing for him, and then the opportunity to sort of co- coach with him and and uh, to to come out here to the states. So, um, um, and what position did you play? I was uh, a forward, so I was always I was always pretty quick. Um, so I play, played up front the majority of my career or, or right midfield and um, and when I went to uh, 
was fortunate. Very good. St. Pat's had a very good school team um, that I was always part of. But uh, I kind of knew I was was, was going to get into coaching because I, um, I think when I was sort of 15, 16, and I was a pretty outspoken kid too. And the other, my other mates at school would, would sort of tell me, hey, McKenna, go you talk to Mr. Sullivan. John Sullivan is our uh, teacher. He's like, go talk to Sullivan and say, here, that we're not happy with this. Uh, lineup, you know, so, um, so I would go into the P P office and sit down and and uh, go McKenna, what's up? And I'd be like, oh, well, well, sir, you know, uh, this is the best eleven to start, and I would slide him over a piece of paper. <laughs> and to, to be fair, he would listen. He would listen to me, and and I and I was usually starting in the eleven too, and he's and that, that's where I would start. He goes, well, this is the first joke right here, and he would circle my name, <laughs> you know. And, then, and uh and yeah then um uh funny there was a there, there was a fella now I'm, I'm thinking back to school uh and uh there's a guy called colin watson and um he played played it had a decent amateur league career in, in northern ireland and he went to he went to our school and uh he was one of the first people i remember he he went to america for a while on like a, on a soccer scholarship and he kind of came back and and gave us a talk when we were like you know, sort of fifteen. I was like, oh, that would be great to go play, to go play in America. Um, um, but then uh, Mr. Sullivan was like, oh, but McKenna, you need to be, you need to be good at football to go play in America. <laughs> I was like, so he kind of, so uh, as as you know, in in Northern Ireland, there are uh, best compliments are when we cut each other down. So <laughs> it makes it, I guess, it makes it stronger. So and yeah, that's what I was, I was intrigued because I was reading the article that you featured in the Irish Times, and it said that you knew early on you didn't want to be a football player. You why why was that? Yeah, well, I I, I kind of my. I realized that I wasn't getting like um, I sort of hit a ceiling athletically and technically that I just was fast and um, but yeah, I still had a, a big knowledge of the game. But mm-hmm. just a, 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 when I was sort of sixteen, seventeen, um, I was faster than everybody, and then at the higher level, I just wasn't. So, mm-hmm. um, but I kind of had this. I kind of had a. I wanted to be around that level though, you know? So I was like, okay, if I can't be rounded as a player, what's the next step? Yeah. So, and then I kind of naturally sort of fell into coaching and kind of haven't, haven't really looked back. Fantastic. So, and that's, that's how you got involved in coaching. And I love, you know, some of the notes here that you sent us over that I'm reading from here. It brought a smile to my face. You know, while many people are going to Ibiza for the summer, you were wanting to go to America and work in the coaching camps for soccer academy in Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I went over for the first time in in two thousand and two uh, when I was twenty, and uh, yeah, like all the other guys, I was right right when I was in university, and everybody else was was sort of planning holidays to Magaluf and Ibiza and stuff. And Marin that I talked about earlier, he he got me an opportunity to go work for eight weeks um, out in the states, and um, and essentially, Tim, you know, you 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 worked a camp from monday to friday and then you i used to get paid 350 dollars a week mm-hmm. which i thought was was huge money and uh we would run down to the bank of america cash our checks and uh and we would be in washington dc like that night um spending our checks <laughs> so <laughs> so it was like it was a working holiday um and i just couldn't get over i was like well why why would it? i said this i am getting paid the coach 
football and uh, I'm getting paid well. I'm getting a house uh, with me that I'm living with. A bunch of guys. That, like it was, I was the only guy from Ireland and there was a bunch of fellas from uh, England and Scotland. I got, got to meet, meet Americans that worked for the company too. We'd, we'd go out in a, and, and typically it was like the, the, the guys who'd been out for previous summers, they'd sort of show you the ropes and take you around. And, uh, you know, I was, I was running around DC at a weekend and I was like, well, this is, this is great. So just then the not life that everybody was doing back home for summers, it never appealed to me. So then that from 2002 onwards for, for a good six, seven years, I, I, I came to America every summer. And then when I kind of graduated, with degree and stuff back home then then look to kind of move out here permanently but that's that's kind of how it started mm-hmm. fantastic and i mean is it is that discipline that you have to have i mean i started coaching quite young as well similar sort of backgrounds and you sort of you know do you have to think right what am i doing the next morning all your mates are going out in the beer and you're saying no no i've got a group of kids i'm coaching here 12 and 13 and need to be professional and turn up the right way and uh yeah, so there was a lot of holidays I turned down, but I, I did get the Ibiza for my fortieth birthday. Oh, yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> so probably, uh, probably wasn't the same as when you would have gone when you were twenty, but uh, yeah, it's better late than never. I, I don't know. I'm in my prime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that soccer academy it connected you with the Ellis family there and John Ellis. If you want to tell us a wee bit about that, then yeah, yeah, again, very, very, very fortunate. Um, G- John Ellis or JE coming towards the end of his coaching uh, career in, in Northern Virginia, but he, he essentially is one of the, he's one of the sort of founding fathers of U S soccer that people don't really talk about. I think, I, I think when, when all said and done, they'll look back at his legacy and just, he had a massive impact on the youth game in America sort of the growing of the youth game. And then he, he also Worked with some of the early uh, national teams on the women's side. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. women's football here being being sort of the pinnacle all around the world has been for the last sort of thirty plus years. Um, uh, his daughter uh, Jill Ellis. Um, during my time at Soccer Academy, initially she was um, she was a college coach, um, but coaching at one of the best schools in the country, UCLA. Um, and then working in with the, the the U.S. women's national team, she was the head coach of like the the U19s and then the U23s, and then and then she actually then got the got the full time women's national team gig um, and won two World Cups uh, and an Olympics, and uh, yeah, it was what FIFA uh, coach of the year, and and I you know her her dad was my my first boss, so. So sort of wherever, and, and then her brother sort of took over the company. Paul um, took over the company um, from from his dad, and um, it was kind of what I find a lot a lot with this game. And I know you've had numerous coaches on from all different parts of the world, and um, I was sort of listening back to sort of sort of themes of you know how they got there. But I I do think Tim, like it's not always what you know; it's kind of who you know, and. Yeah, that can that can open that that has certainly opened doors for me. But then, but then when you get there and you you have that door opened, you have to kind of you can't fake it. Like so, you've got to be yeah. able to produce. So, but certainly to have the Ellis the Ellis's um, in the corner um, has has been has been huge. And the kind of the interesting story about Paul um, who who took over from his dad um, and ran the company. Paul Paul was a Royal Marine. Um, 
and he fought in the Falklands and uh, before he came to America and actually sp- spent some time in Northern Ireland. And um, when he, he, he said, we're very close friends now and, and um, you know, because I've, I've known him for, uh, you know, 20 odd years. And, um, but he said to me not, a number of times, he said, if you'd have told a younger me that I would have hired somebody from Northern Ireland, never mind trust them to run my company, um, I would have never believed you, but he says, I'm, uh, I hired you for a reason. So, and he, he's been really happy with sort of seeing my, my soccer journey, you know, um, mm-hmm. but, uh, still, he still laughs. He, at the, he says, you were probably one of those boys throwing stones at me. And when I was <laughs> driving in the streets of Belfast, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And all these summers in America was obviously going to shape your life as it is today, but you obviously came back home, um, after each summer, and that was where you completed your degree at university, Ulster Jordanstown there. And I think that's probably when our paths crossed then, when uh, you had enjoyed some work with myself at TW Sports, and that was quite early on we were beginning as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, again, I was sort of trying to think how I, how I found, I think my mum like found a flyer or something at TW Sports, and was like, uh, hey, why don't, you, why don't you give this guy a call and see if, you know, if he needs some work? Because... Um, I, I always uh, I have a very good friend uh, in he he he's he was a, he's a former Ulster rugby player a guy called Andrew Maxwell and he um he uh, came to America too after his rugby career with Ulster and uh, opened a bar in Florida and then kind of took a lot of ideas in America and then brought them back to to Northern Ireland and now he owns several bars in Belfast and Boojum and a load of different things but he always says that. Things that happen in America, um, they, they kind of can catch on in Europe, sort of two, three years, in two, three years time. And I came back and, and you know, TW Sports was sort of trying to run soccer centers and trying to, you know, you were trying to get these 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 ideas of getting in and working in clubs and uh, in youth clubs and sort of trying to run a youth club. And it, it, they were they were similar um similar ideas to what I'd, I'd seen in the youth game in America. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I think I just called you and was like, listen, this is sort of my experience and I think it can help you run some stuff. And, yeah, um, yeah. and all of a sudden you had me running around, uh, North Down, Antrim, uh, Armagh. You had me, uh, you had me you had putting on the mileage, but uh, <laughs> um, running, running, running centres for you um, all all over the place. And uh, again, Tim, I, I, I've thought back a lot and I've, I've the growth of yourself and the company really since those days. And you're right, you you were a fledgling company, and you were the, the there's. A lot of Northern Ireland to love, and then there's a lot of Northern Ireland which uh, which just really really bugs me. And um, part of it is sometimes, and and I guess this is something that can be said around the world, but sometimes people just don't like change, you know. And mm. um, and fo- football in Northern Ireland, especially youth football, was very very stale then. Mm. Um, and the Irish FA kind of ran ran a lot of things but but they didn't really let anybody else in and and you were you were trying to establish yourself and it, uh and, and it's not that you were trying to be direct competition you were just trying to give people choice you know yeah. um yeah. and uh uh i'm glad i was able to kind of just 
give you some ideas of what I'd learned um, mm-hmm. and for you to apply them. And I think, yeah, um, it's great to see where TW Sports has gone sort of since since those, those early 2000s when it was me dr- driving up to your house to pick up <laughs> pick up balls and throw them into the back of my Ford Fiesta, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was a real exciting time because that was sort of this, the first stage where we were starting to bring coaches on board. You know, it went from me running around and maybe running three, four centres to I think at that point we maybe had as many as 20 centres operating, you know, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of hard work, as you quite rightly say. We were sort of swimming upstream. Um, you're quite 100% right that people in this country don't like change, whether that be from a, a political point of view uh, or whether that even be from a sporting point of view. And, you know, there was things that we we're trying to embrace. And us coming together and having the brainstorm meetings, like, what can we do different? And if you, it sounds crazy to think about it to this day, but when we first launched our mini soccer programme, we were unique because we were taking kids as young as five at, at the start. And then that was when we had those brainstorming meetings about saying, well, what about, you know, toddler soccer? Can we bring it, you know, younger? And seeing the little brothers and sisters not understand why they couldn't play football at five when every other club and organisation, and probably including the Irish FA at that stage, I think the youngest dream up was about seven, eight years of age, you know. So for us then to go and <laughs> take the, the born module and rip it up and say right we're taking kids from the age of two the abuse that we got in those early days was crazy and yeah uh, yeah uh, you know when you think that now a lot of people sometimes you've got to innovate and when you're innovating and changing things that people don't like and feel uncomfortable with you're going to take dogs abuse about it but being thick-skinned um and innovating and always taking the program forward hopefully brings change in a positive environment right across the board and that's been something that we've seen that has definitely improved because at the end of the day, all we're trying to do is make football in this country a better product. And if we're doing our little bit at the grassroots level that maybe helps, you know, the journey for those kids stepping on and going into the professional game or the semi-professional game, well, then that can only be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm glad you stuck with it and, and, and programs have grown. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, 16 you, years you, later, still going. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can send me the royalty check from the toddler soccer stuff, so you can. Yeah, I'm sure it got lost in the mail. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's on the BMX over the rally. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then tell us then, because then after uh, working with ourselves, oh, there's one brilliant story I need to say. <laughs> I remember you down at Eddie Irvine Sports Centre in your hometown of Bangor, and you're on the pitch and you're in the zone doing a few keepy ups, juggling the ball up. And I don't know, you just have this vision in your head, you're going to flick it up and volley it at the goal at the other end. Unbeknown to you, <laughs> there was a six-year-old kid right in front of you about 10 yards away. Oh, no. <laughs> as you caught that ball, sweet as anything in the volley. <laughs> yeah. It volleyed this kid in the face, put him up in the air, <laughs> added straight down. Now, we were all trying to keep our professional sales by making sure the kid was okay, but... It, Looking back on it now, it was the most comical thing. It was like, <laughs> it was your reaction after it happened? I know, and I was because I was, I was, I, I remember, I remember that, and I was like thinking, God, do, did he sign a waiver? Are we okay here? Am I going to get sued? Like, what's going on? I was like, why did I do that? Like, I'm not Mark Hughes, oh. you know. <laughs> So, yeah. Brilliant. Of all the great things that you've done with TW Sports, that's one of the things that sticks always in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody listening to the show, yeah, the kid did get back up. He wasn't concussed. He, he was, was fine, you know. Up. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but then after that, you went on to work with the Irish EFA. Yeah, yeah. I was actually, a, a, I was working in America. Um, I had a, a full-time gig with Soccer Academy, but uh, the 
the the Irish FA came, they they created this um, program um, uh, in conjunction with the GAA and um, the um, the uh, education board, where um, it was like the the schools coordinators positions, mm-hmm. and uh, I saw it as an opportunity to 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 work for the governing body. You know, um, it was highly subsidized by um, the government. Um, uh, but the, the the whole idea of the of the program um, was, I think there was initially like thirty people from the Irish FA and thirty GAA officers, and we were to go into um, primary schools and use you know association football and GAA as a uh, a vehicle to um, promote what they what they kind of came up with the term physical literacy um, um, amongst primary school kids with again. A lot of primary schools in Northern Ireland um, and other parts of the UK, you know, don't have a certified like PE teacher, so to speak. So, so mm-hmm. we would come in during curriculum time and uh, deliver this program. And um, I got to work. With, Lee Carroll was in charge of the program. He since he since moved on from the Irish FA, but uh, Lee again, I kind of, like sort of similar to what I, I I interviewed for the job and got it, and then sort of find myself similar with you Tim I was I was sat with Lee quite a lot many many a time and kind of helped because the, the the program is brand new mm-hmm. um and uh there were other there were other really good Kieran Donaghy who's still um uh, who I actually went to school with he 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 got a job there too and he was like playing for Cliftonville at the time um he he got a full-time job his, his dad's obviously Mal Donaghy um so he'd been very familiar with the Irish FA setup another another guy uh Sean Ward played for Glen Torn for a long time but we were we were all young guys, really keen out of university, um, a lot of knowledge. Um, and um, we were able to kind of sit down and, and mold this program um, that was then delivered to every, essentially because of the spread. We, we, we were in nearly every primary school in, in Northern Ireland at some point in the academic year. And I loved it. I, I, I was, uh, I was living in Belfast, but they, they gave me North down, uh, my old stomping ground so um so then i would drive back down to uh to to north down at uh, monday monday through friday and again was in was in i got to go into my old primary school st malachy's and that felt good to kind of give back to them and then uh again was in schools that all, all over from from little time there's a little school out in donica day that only had the entire school only had um I want to say forty kids in the entire school, um, so so I I would just take two classes of 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 because they did and and they would have never got a program like that you uh-huh. know if it wasn't because it was completely free, yeah. um yeah. and uh, loved my time but but sort of also knew that we were we were funded for two years and then there there'd, there'd be uh, an extension you'd get another two years and then kind of another extension onto that so there wasn't a lot of job security in it mm-hmm. so uh, you know I, I kind of did it for the for two years left a bit of a blueprint that I was proud of um, and uh, yeah then 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 came back to the states um, but enjoyed my time um, uh, and 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 I have to say, was was sort of was proud to um, to wear the Irish FA badge every day um, because mm-hmm. I, I actually felt, to be honest with you, I kind of felt like I was making a difference. Whereas before, it was kind of seen 
the the big bad and uh um you know just was was sort of glad that i was i was going in there and actually influencing programs so um yeah it was good right. really enjoyed and it and alongside that you were also coaching at cutting ball ladies yeah yeah got got into again that that was an influence from my, my sort of early days in america um as I said, sort of said earlier, like girls soccer over here has been very big for a long time. And um, I kind of like, although I worked with a lot of boys teams, I sort of find myself working with, 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 with a lot more girls teams and just really enjoyed it. And then when I came back again, kind of was like, right, I kind of want to keep this going. And the, the league was a bit of a fledging, a fledging league. Um, I, wanted to get in and help at any level. I went to the, I, I was working in the Irish FA. So I was like going, listen, I'd love to, you know, I had my B license. I was like, well, I'd love to get involved with teams. I'd love to, you know, be able to um, uh, be and completely honest. Uh, uh, and I've had this conversation with Irish. I, I don't care that the door is now closed on it, but, but, but they shut the door on me then in the, in the two thousands. Cause I, I don't know. I think again, like I've said to you before, um, like Tim is, they, they didn't really like change, mm. right? So I kind of came with, here, these are some ideas and concepts that we're trying in America. Or why don't you look at this? And just doors closed everywhere. So I went, all right, I'll just do it myself. And went, worked at Clif- worked at Cliftonville. Again, even Cliftonville wasn't getting the support um, it now gets from, they, they were one of the, them and Glen Torrin and, and uh, Crusaders were sort of the, the, the three leaders on, on the women's side that kind of, um, did sort of recognize that they have a women's team and that the women's team should play at the ground. And, but, but back in those days, like we were training at falls park on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I didn't get paid at all. Um, um, we didn't play at solitude. We played our games at Cherryville and, uh, just, just in different places all over, uh, all over North Belfast too. And, but, but again, really, really enjoyed at that, that kind of I cut my teeth um, as a as a manager um, and was going up against sort of some established sides and like sort of uh, Glentor and BU and and Crusaders were the two they were the two big dogs and sort of still are no Linfield's kind of come up there on the women's side but it, um, to to kind of help establish Cliftonville um, was was something I'm really proud of and, and I got them promoted um, in, in my time there and we, we won an Irish league and Marissa Callan who's now the Northern Ireland senior captain um, she played for me uh, I've talked to her I've t- talked to her many a time um, her career is I've been really really proud of that kid that was a kid that was sort of working two jobs and in um not not in the best social circles at times and but she had so much potential as a as a footballer and um wasn't getting the opportunities at the northern ireland level then even though i was pushing her but it was like uh, every time i did it the door seemed closed but that kid that kid worked their socks off herself you know and um uh really pro- really really proud of her and what she's achieved and gone on to, to be the captain of the of her country and um it, it's 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 great for her and, and she never forgets Cliftonville like mm-hmm. uh, um uh, and either of I can't it's been a great time and and it's funny um we were sponsored again because we didn't 
have the relationship with the men's team just then. We we were sponsored by um Brockies, which was a bar that's now closed in in the um the Odyssey or whatever they call the Odyssey now. Yeah. And uh if you remember Rocky Sports Bar used to have all the memorabilia up everywhere. That's well, right. Well one of the pillars was like uh the, the football team he supported he he um sponsored the uh Cliftonville ladies. Um and it was our 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 team picture would, would go there. So every time I would get I would get picked I would get uh texts and WhatsApps from from people back home for years because when they would go to a, a concert or you know what a Giants game or whatever at the Odyssey, uh they would they would go drink they'd go have a drink in Rockies before and they'd go here McKenna you're still up on the wall here and they'd be taking pictures. So yeah yeah no very proud very very proud of that that team what I accomplished and kind of. Uh, my experiences with them. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So. Brilliant. Brilliant. And then that was then starting to bring your journey back across the Atlantic. Um, you got an opportunity at Georgetown University then? Yeah, I kind of, I always wanted to work in the college game when I, when I got over here. The youth, youth soccer is a, is a, is a beast over here. Um, a lot of people, that's their full-time job and it, it, it pays well. So to kind of give you an idea uh, you know, uh, you can take like a youth girls team or boys team doesn't doesn't matter, and the parents will pay you upwards of like twenty thousand US dollars to take a youth team for 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 the year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I couldn't get over that this sort of pay to play, um idea uh um but then you were sort of you were getting a uh you know a professional coach to to work with your team but but for me i was just like well this is this is insane um and i kind of wanted i just wanted a wanted a bit more stability in a university setting and and uh and i wanted to kind of um see if i could compete at the higher level um so yeah uh, but again it's not what you know it's who you know so um mm-hmm. i'd been applying for jobs and at that point I, I think i had my uh ussf b license um i was working towards my a mm-hmm. so i had a uefa b and a us uh, the equivalent in u.s soccer and um but couldn't get a job i was applying for all these these college jobs couldn't get anything and uh I'd met through the youth game. I'd met a guy called Dave Nolan, who was the head coach at Georgetown, and sort of said, "Hey, Dave, like, what? I'm applying for these jobs. Why am I not getting them?" And he's like, "Because you got to go and you got to volunteer your time. And once you mm-hmm. volunteer your time, someone will vouch for you, and then, yeah, and then everything else kind of lines up." He says, "Because there's there's so many people apply for these jobs, and uh, but if you volunteer, you, you get an idea for for what the gig's like. So that's what I did. I, I volunteered with him, and." Uh, Georgetown, he he built a very successful program on the women's side of Georgetown. The, the men's team is, is is very competitive as well. They're 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 one of the best in the country, um, right there in DC. And um, but I, I did it for free, so I was I was coaching. I was doing all the youth soccer stuff during during the day, and then I was running the training um, at night, um, running the games at Georgetown between my own club games. Um, and trying to trying to balance all that out, but uh, on the back of that, then I got my first full time assistant coaching gig at Loyola, which is a school up in Baltimore, Maryland. And um, uh, from there, then I, uh, I found myself at at NC State. Um, for those sort of who don't, the 
to try to briefly describe what college athletics is like is very it's very difficult for people to sort of wrap their heads around um because mm-hmm. we have this concept of of university athletics in in europe and the uk and it's vastly different uh in america um it's as professional as you can get you know to kind of give you an idea here at, at at, at NC State, where I'm at now, we 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 probably have a budget for our women's team alone of uh, just under about two hundred and forty thousand US dollars a year, and where that where that money goes on is uh, goes on our obviously like our equipment um, or like the, what the players get. We're we're sponsored by um, Adidas, and uh, so all all that stuff that they get there. Um, it goes on our travel. We we travel. Our games aren't just local. Um, in in state, we we travel to Florida. We travel to our conference. We 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 play um, uh, the length and breadth of the country essentially. So so the money the budget goes to that. It, it goes the a big part of the budget goes to recruiting. So me and the other coaches fly again all over America. We fly internationally to watch players play. And then offer them scholarships to come to come play. Uh, so we we will go to youth games and watch a kid when she's like sixteen, and then uh, when she's eligible, we'll 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 get her to if if she's good enough to come to try to convince her to come play for us. So, um, I mean, that's really interesting. Was anybody listening to us? That's you know, especially in Northern Ireland, I don't think they understand how vast it is in America. I mean, I've been fortunate to coach out there doing summer camps elite clinics and stuff over five years and I remember on a couple of occasions says we like to come and watch a game it's a home game and he says yeah yeah no worries at all so a day off I'm thinking home game about 20 minutes travel no it was about two hours and I'm thinking this is a home game and we're on the road for two hours <laughs> it's yeah crazy yeah. and it's just yeah. so vast and when you're going in to watch uh, potential new players and scout them you know what is it that you're looking for the attributes well again I'm very I'm very fortunate that um the the school in that nc state the the conference we play in um is the acc and it's the it is the premier conference it's kind of like the premier league of women's soccer in uh in america um uh so it's a very elite level of player that we're looking for um Mm -hmm. and so typically it's like players that that already are, are in a national like have been in the national pool at some point in their career. Um, the the uh, there's an athletic side to um, sports in America. Um, I, I've 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 seen and, and coached a lot of very talented players from from the UK and Europe who are very technical, but they're not as athletic as as some of the homegrown American talent. Mm-hmm. Um, when I when I mean athletic, I just mean like pure pace being able to run people down um strength on and off the ball that that is just sort of like a nat- natural gift that mm-hmm. that uh, some of these these athletes have you know um so yeah we're we're kind of we're we're kind of looking for that athletic piece but um again being in being our conference uh, being the top in the country that you can't just get away with that you gotta have you got to look for technical kids. So again, the majority, the majority of players that um, either we have or we up, come up against are, are either in a national pool, um, typically the, the U S national pool, or, you know, we, 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 we've recruited heavily from Europe. So um, we, we've, we've a number of players that, 
essentially if they didn't they, they, they grew up in the Bayern Munich system and then if they didn't make it at Bayern and didn't get offered a full-time contract um, we've we've been able to get them to come to us um, and kind of balance getting a degree with playing at the highest level possible so um, uh, it's worked out pretty well so far um, um, so yeah that's kind of what I what we look for but and and, and we have a very certain style of style that we play and mm. not every player fits into that mold so mm. um my my head coach tim is uh very uh particular then about about whether a player can fit into our system um so that's when when we're recruiting we're kind of looking at that element too yeah no that's very very interesting i mean i know you've touched on it already but you know comparing usa the uk and ireland What's things that you think you really like? What's things that you maybe miss the difference? I mean, there's a lot of differences, obviously. We've uh, spoke about one of them in terms of the investment uh, in the States, and uh, that's both from club, college, and, and obviously parent. They're, they're investing in their children, and uh, from a financial point of view, it's seen as a, a career over there, whereas here, uh, people people make you feel guilty if you're, if you're really yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> working on it because... <laughs> The dogs abuse I've got over the years. Ah, oh, you shouldn't be charging football. Blah 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 blah. And and I think you've already touched on it as well as the volunteering aspect. I mean, I give ten years of my life to, if you like, earn my degree and learn my trade in football yeah. coaching, where I did it voluntary. And I mean, I, I remember the story running their eight teams and planning, delivering, analyzing sessions, games, and giving Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, and. And so much, and you're maybe maybe giving a token of ten pound per week, you know. Uh, but that that is where I got my degree. That was where I invested my time to to help be the person I am today. That's probably a big frustration I have now. And young coaches now, they sort of want everything now, and yeah. they sort of turn their nose up. That oh, I don't want to do that. It's all about you know quick fix instead of thinking no. This is where you learn the game and get. Uh, work under great mentors, and that's always been something I've been fortunate with the mentors that I've had in my life. Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree, and I've I've sort of seen it um, with some some younger coaches who've who've asked me, well, how what's your journey been, and can you get me into, you know, can you get me into university soccer and this other thing? I'm like going, you you can get yourself into it, you know, if you're, <laughs> if, uh, I can certainly try, and but but yeah, if they're not willing to do it, and it's and it's a, it's an issue here that's sort of ongoing, um, as you say, there's a lot of people that are now former players, and they kind of they're kind of expecting to get some of these jobs straight out of playing and um and they want but they they don't know what they don't know so it's like going well i'll tell you what um i you had you'd one of your one of your former guests on as well on a a previous podcast that said i i think it, it speaks volumes for a coach if you can go um and not only work with elite players at the highest level but also go and work with three and four year olds um and you don't turn your nose up at that mm. and uh, at some point in your career i feel like you need to do all that so you yeah. have a full full understanding of what it takes um mm. and it's not a case of sort of earning your salt i think it's it's a case of sort of understanding where like like an, an understanding of how the youth game works and um then when you understand how to run some of these programs, then whether then you can maybe get get good people in to help you if you if you find yourself in that situation or find a niche that that you 
insert yourself into you know my my niche was women's football and I kind of got in there and I've continued to grow but mm-hmm. um my son's five now so I'm, I'm back I'm back doing you know toddler soccer again with him and uh, <laughs> it's it's bringing me bringing me back to the days where I was running around leisure centers in in uh Northern Ireland for you so yeah oh somebody's yeah. got a good book out about that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I'm, I'm, the royalty checks uh, did it good. Did you send it to Bangor? Is that where it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to mention stuff in the front cover. Huh? <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Very good. So, uh, what other aspects then have you really enjoyed in America? Um, maybe things that you've missed that maybe you don't see in America that is more, I don't know, something that you come across in Northern Ireland and the UK in Ireland? Yeah, well, um, the, the, Kids here still the biggest criticism I have of the youth game here, and even like the players. I'm I'm working out with some of the best women's college athletes in the country, mm-hmm. but they still don't really watch the game. You mm-hmm. know, it's um, and um, um, they'll watch our game. We watch like we watch we watch a lot of video and cut video of the game that we just played, and so we analyze us to death. But but they're not. That's not, that's not that's not necessarily true with my the, my team that I'm working with all the time. But some of the the, the experience in the youth game, yeah, their 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 parents buy them the um, Ronaldo jersey that they they show up and they wear. Mm-hmm. But unlike the kids back home, who could rhyme off, uh, you know, everyone that plays for Man United and everyone who played for Newcastle against United at the weekend, um, mm-hmm. I've just that's not really an American culture yet. They don't really uh, embrace the game to that level that they do in Europe. Um, yeah. And I, and I miss that. Cause I think, I think that there's an under, there's just an understanding there. And we see it like some, uh, like our German internationals that come over here, like they just, there's nuances of their game that they've, that they have got from watching the game their entire lives. And that hasn't really filtered into American culture uh, as as much. Don't get me wrong, kids kids are fans of teams now, but a lot more than what they used to, and then can name teams. But like, it's just different back home. Like, you know, yeah, you would you just yeah, just wait, wait, and and like you, and when you were at school, you would know, you would know every player in the Premier League, like from yeah. every like from every squad, like. Um, that's what you know. I ask any kid in 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 a primary school, they'll they'll, they'll name you all, and, and they'll have a very strong opinion on how they feel about. It. Oh, that player's crap, you know. So you just don't <laughs> you don't get you don't really get that uh, to that. But 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 yeah, they would probably know like NFL rosters pretty well, or um or uh, uh some NBA and stuff like that. So um and I don't know if I don't know if 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 soccer will ever be at that level. Uh, yeah. Here, I just. It's embraced big time, but I just don't think it, it's not going to be embraced nationally. So yeah. I think it'll always be the struggle. So I guess that's one thing that's that's different uh, from a footballing perspective. Um, from from a personal perspective, you obviously sort of miss you miss friends and family and sort of miss the closeness um, uh, that yeah that you have um, with, back, with people back home and. Um, but now it's you know now it's about just not being here long enough. Now it's like just ma- making my own making my own mark in the community. And uh, I, I, I say this to a lot of people: it's like um, the best thing about 
being away from home is that you get to go back. So, um, and I love, I love when I get to go home. Um, yeah. Not as much now with, 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 with COVID, obviously, but uh, yeah, I, lo- I love it when I get to go back home. Yeah, perfect. And just before we bring you on to our weekly feature, there's a couple of funny stories I've got down here in a bullet point that you uh, yeah, tell, yeah, tell yeah. us. Tell us the first one about Chelsea. Uh, yeah, that was, um, I got the opportunity to, I was, I was out working camps at UCLA back in, I think it was 2007. And Mourinho, it was Mourinho's second stint at Chelsea. And um, uh, he, he fell in love with LA. So he brought, um, he he used to bring that Chelsea team out to train at UCLA every summer. Um, when he did it for two or three summers when he was there, and that was the that was the summer that Beckham had signed for LA Galaxy. Mm-hmm. So so Chelsea were lined up to play um, LA Galaxy, but me and my, my, a, a very good friend of mine from London, lifelong Chelsea fan, Chelsea fan from um, before the money. Yeah. Um, he, it's, it was fate. We were like, we were working at UCLA where they were training. So we used to get into training every day to watch that Mourinho Chelsea team. And that was a good, that was a good team. That was yeah. like Drogba in his, in his, uh, uh, you know, heyday. Um, you know, obviously Lampard, Terry was in that team. Uh, Ian Robin, Czech was the goalkeeper. Uh, McAleely was in that. It was. A who's who, you know, of uh, of 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 talent, um, and we were smoking and joking with them on the si- on the sideline where they were for for two weeks to the point where I used to get I used to get bored. I would rather sl- I would I'd rather go sleep in the afternoon because it was hot than go watch <laughs> go watch a Mourinho training session, right? Um, uh, whereas, yeah, people would be uh, want the the same. Uh, you know, uh, but the, the funny story about it was we were um, the security guards used to know it because they had security all set up. There were people that Chelsea knew that who Chelsea were, and they were. But we we were able to get in, and the security guards knew us because we mm-hmm. would wear would wear our UCLA gear, and they mm-hmm. they just thought we were part of the furniture, so we would come and go, right? So there's this guy, there's this guy, and he's standing down at the gate, and he goes, "Um, I used to play for the club. I have an interview with." Chelsea FC, you know, and he's like on the phone and he's trying to like, he says, can you please? And of course, my mate, my mate, lifelong Chelsea fan, looks at him and goes, that's Frank LeBeouf. And he goes, ah. so, he, so he go, he go, we go down to Frank LeBeouf and go, Frank's with us. So he goes, oh, thanks guys. And Frank, Frank's now walking, Frank LeBeouf, World Cup winner, is walking up with us, right? To, to, and he's going, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get in. And he, it turns out he like lived in LA and stuff. So um, yeah, Chelsea TV were there and they did it. And then he sat again, because he thought we were somebody important. So he sat with us for the entire training session. And he was just like, Sean Wright Phillips, he's finished. He was just like crit- critiquing all the players. And it was uh, kind of funny to, uh, to, to listen to that. Um, I love the way um, you try to put on French accent there as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, that was, that was, that was it. And there's a, there's a story for uh, another day where um, we in Bridge, I, I was back at, the, they were staying in the Beverly Hills Hotel and um, uh, yeah, Wayne, Wayne Bridge was with one of the Williams sisters. I'll just leave it like that. 
so oh, uh, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly 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 so but that's uh so it was then interesting a few years later all the stuff came out with him and john terry but i but i was like going i saw that guy with one of the williams tennis sisters <laughs> true, that's, a, that's a true that's a true story tim true story <laughs> yeah yeah i'll be after the watershed in the next podcast yeah <laughs> absolutely 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 <laughs> okay well come we'll, we'll have to speak about that more offline then uh but uh the next one, then next year, then you're in Italy with Irish FA. Yeah, I was back uh, again. Italy, um, the, the UEFA did a cool thing. Uh, I think it was like every two years that they would they they would pay for a trip for some some of the smaller nations to go and see what youth soccer was like and like the setup of soccer in that country. Um, so you know you could kind of learn from things, etc. So I got I got picked from the Irish FA to go to italy there's a, a group of about 14 of us mm-hmm. and um we the year before they'd gone to um ajax and or they'd been in holland and they'd got to see like the and obviously holland's youth system is renowned across the world for what you know how innovative they've been over the years um so we were all and, and this was right off the back of italy winning a world cup mm-hmm. so we were like this is going to be great we're going to learn so much we, we were in um, Florence at the, the the home of Italian football is uh, is Corvacano, which I've, I've butchered the name of that, but it's where all the it's where all the the youth teams and the the full national team come mm-hmm. um, when they have a camp, and there's like a hotel attached to it, but it's still this old Florence feel to the buildings. It was a be- beautiful place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're with we're with uh, two other football associations. We're with the, the Cypriot FA. And the Albanian FA, so real powerhouses of Europe, the Albanians, <laughs> the Cypriots, and, and us. And uh, uh, but we're there for it was a three day trip. When do you think was the first time we actually went and saw a session being run in real life? I don't tell me it was on day three. Day day three, as we were leaving <laughs> to go to the airport. So it was two. It was two and a half days of lectures in Italian because because the Albanians didn't speak English. The Cypriots did, the Albanians didn't. We had a translator. So mm-hmm. the the Italian and the Italian guy spoke English. So you'd have to speak in Italian and then speak in English. Okay. And uh, there's only so much of the, that's the stuff you can get. And essentially what the biggest thing or biggest takeaway from our time with the Italian FA was uh they just kept going on about how they've won they've won what four world cups or whatever it was it was like yeah we we just we're pretty good because look at look at the stars on our chest and they, they, they would literally point to their chest and the stars they had so that's where that's where we get our experience from so uh yeah very different yeah. take uh yeah, and yeah. That, that, that insight there huh? <laughs> yeah yeah so so yeah um so that that was that that was and there's a couple of other uh stories for after the watershed from that trip too which i'll save for another time Uh, and we'll we'll save the 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 best one to last because it's involving manchester united yeah um so united this was like 2014 there was a big buzz because van gaal just taken over and they they went on a tour to to um america and um uh they were they were they were playing at they weren't playing DC United. I think they were playing Inter Milan, but at DC United, so in DC. And mm-hmm. uh, there's only like two really good grass pitches in in DC. Like like I mean like you know Premiership standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, one's at Georgetown, 
and the other one was uh, at another university called American University. Mm-hmm. And I had connections, obviously, at both schools. They weren't training at Georgetown. Actually, it was funny. United had offered them because because the Georgetown staff were like, "No, we need to prepare. We need to prepare our pitch for our season." And <laughs> United were like, "Well, we'll give you." I think they offered them two hundred grand for three or four days. And Georgetown went no too because Georgetown are have like an endowment of you know fifty million, like something ridiculous. So that so two hundred grand's a, dro- a drop in the bucket to them. So they just went, "No, it's okay. We don't need the money." And turn and turn United down. Amer- American University did take the offer, so they so they were there. So anyway, I call I call my mate, uh, who was the assistant coach on the men's side at the time, and I said, "I'm sure you're being bombarded with people wanting to watch United train at American. Do you think you can get me in?" Mm-hmm. And he and he actually said, "You're the first person to call, Steve. <laughs> Nobody's been <laughs> calling me." So I was like, oh, "All right, well, can you get me in?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course." So so I get I go there. Um, no, sorry, the. They end up flying in a day early. So um, they fly in on the Sunday night. And my mate Ben goes, they're getting in early. I am I have to open the gates for them and open the locker rooms and open the pitch and get the water out. Because we don't have any staff working on a Sunday night from Man United. So, mm-hmm. so cause they all, they're all here on Monday. So, so he says, if you want to come tonight, come and help me. So yeah, like we're, we're bringing out water for them and... And unlocking the change rooms and and um the I know you've you're a lifelong United fan like myself um what's very cool about the club um is they have like the even though the coaching staff changed the backroom staff sort of stay the same so the masseuses and the doctors and the security guys and uh, the equipment guys they are all they are all kind of doesn't matter who the coaching staff are. They're, they're all sort of like a core group of, of, of people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they're all there kind of helping set up. Uh, Van Gaal hasn't come out yet. Giggs was his assistant coach at the time. And you know me, I was like massive Giggs fan. So, and I'd never met Ryan Giggs. So I was sort of couldn't wait to meet Giggs. It's all I want to do is meet Giggs, meet Giggs, meet Giggs, right? And um, the all the support staff basically sort of said, listen, this new guy Van Gaal's like kind of crazy. We're like, we don't know. He says he he could see you two, even though you helped open like that. You work here at the university, which I didn't. I was I was blagging it like, but he was like, <laughs> he's like, um, he could still tell you guys to leave. Uh, we we don't know. He goes sometimes he tells us to leave, and we we're we're part of his staff, but we're not his <laughs> coaching staff. Um, so uh, he do, he he clocks us. Van Gaal clocked us immediately when when he when he walked onto the pitch, but didn't say anything so i think we think ourselves we're okay we're watching training all of a sudden like this older man walks up um and I, i'm sorry the listeners the story is a little bit long but it's 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 still pretty cool <laughs> this old this older guy walks up and again this is a random sunday night in washington dc mm-hmm. and he's wearing he's awkwardly wearing this man united top and i look closely and i go that's joel glazier right <laughs> and Joel Glazier again walks up to my friend, me and Ben, and is like, I'm, I'm Joel Glazier. And I'm like shaking the guy's hand, going, Yeah, I know, know who you are. Like, <laughs> and uh, and um, he, again, we, we, we introduce ourselves. And he was the, he was a very polite guy. Um, uh, for all the things I used to like hate about the Glaziers, here's one standing in front of me, um, mm-hmm. uh, the owner of the club I've supported all my life. Um, mm-hmm. And all he, when he found out I worked in women's soccer and worked for a local club, mm-hmm. 
um, he had two, his two daughters and he was then, so the owner of Manchester United was asking my opinion on what club his, his daughters should join um, to play youth soccer. And I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, Mr. Glazier, if you want uh, me and Ben here, if you want to give us a bit of money, we'll set up our own club. And, uh, he's like, <laughs> and, and he laughed and he said, yeah, you know, I'm pretty busy running the clubs that have already got going on. I don't think I could start another one. And so it was quite funny. But then, then I got to witness his his interaction with um, Van Gaal, and it was clearly the first time they'd seen each other, maybe since even the interview process. Yeah. And it was a little, little bit awkward. Um, but then I missed my chance. I saw gigs like leaving, so because the team was finished winning. So then I'm sprinting up to try to get into, and we get into the uh, the like the sort of sports hall at American, and um, uh, it's. Um, it Wayne Rooney is playing basketball uh, <laughs> with with Johnny Evans and uh, Darren Fletcher, um, and uh, I'm like, and it's just one of those natural things. Again, instead of feeling awkward, I just kind of, you know you do the universal sign of pass me the ball. So then they <laughs> pass me the ball. So now I'm playing basketball with <laughs> with these boys, and, then, and I'm just going, this is this is this is mental, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, then got the watch them then again. The, the, they all left, and we locked up the, uh, the, the the training room and stuff. And and then the next day, I, I, that was the first time I got to meet gigs. Um, and uh, have a picture. I look like I'm uh, I'm back to being a ten year old kid again. Um, and 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 spoke to Johnny Evans for a long time, just about the whole obviously Northern Ireland connection, and um, just to get it was it was a great great experience uh, and just a random. Random Sunday Sunday night in DC, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic! What a story. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Really good. Well, listen. At this stage of the podcast, we have a weekly feature that we ask our guests to name their five-a-side dream team based on their nationality uh, of players that they have seen in their lifetime. So, start off then with your Irish five-a-side team. Then, sure. Yeah. Um, again, it's in my lifetime, and I uh, sort of did it based roughly on what what I think. Could 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 come across as a decent uh, five-a-side team. Um, I picked I picked Shea Given in goal. Um, I've just I've always had an affinity with Shea Given. Um, I think he was undervalued as a as a keeper. Um, and when you actually look back at Premiership goalkeepers, he's he's one of the best. He 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 was worth a point for Newcastle every time. It was then the in my opinion, and it was the the other 10 players in front of him kind of had to go get two points, you know? Yeah. Um, and if he, if he played for a bigger club, I, I think Arsenal missed the beat. They, they should have signed him. And, uh, but that was, you know, Wenger was so tight with money. Um, they, they then kind of, he settled for Petr Cech at the, towards the end of Cech's career. But I, I think if they had signed Gibbon in his prime, I, I think they would have been unstoppable, you know? Yeah. Um, for me, probably the the most boring person on it, but using and by the way, hugely influenced by Manchester United this lineup. But, <laughs> uh, um, for me again, uh, Dennis Irwin's the best right back that's ever played in the Premiership. Like mm-hmm. I don't even know why it's even a question. Like people put Gary Neville ahead of him in Man United lineup, so I'm like going, Dennis Irwin was that good. He could play right back or left back at the mm-hmm. highest level, and was again. If the guy was if the guy was Italian, um, he'd be a household name. 
yeah. you know, from Cove. So it's like, you know, nobody, nobody knew him. So, uh, uh, but, um, so yeah, did Dennis Irwin. Uh, and also people forget he was hitting free kicks before Beckham used to hit free kicks for United. You remember that? Oh yeah, he was a specialist, free kicks and, and penalties as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Bruce um, used to be the two over the penalties back then, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, again, you can't have any team um, that, that that grew up in my era watching football and not have Roy Keane uh, yeah. in your team. Um, there was a great quote that Neville talked about him that you know in the dressing room, week in week out, not only was he the best player on the pitch. Um, but when he was in, he was the most commanding presence in a dressing room, and um, you know people will now sort of see Roy Keane as a pundit, which I which I understand. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate to have seen him as a player in his absolute prime, and there was there was nobody nobody could lace that man's boots when mm-hmm. when when he showed up. Um, and what a leader! Just to, if you want want any to, to strive for perfection, um, the way he did, and, and to achieve it. Um, you know, again, and and that's not with rose tinted glasses on. Being a United fan, um, the the guy, the guy just he gave everything for you. Wasn't yeah. wasn't wasn't the best player, like technically gifted player, but he made up for it and everything else. And that that's what then won him games. And um, and yeah, did he have a did he have good players around him? Absolutely. Um, but he was the driving force of those players. So again, I I would have him. In the engine of my my five aside team, um, uh, I went for Aaron Hughes too, because um, again, to for Northern Ireland to produce some talented players like in my lifetime that that have been so consistent in the Premiership um, is is like again, it's so hard to to do. We're such a small country, yet we we produce you know players like like Hughes, like Johnny Evans, like Baird, like, you know, that are just, they're staples in premiership lineups and have been for years, but they're not, they're not necessarily household names. Um, obviously Aaron Hughes is bigger household name here than, but um, like just what a career. And again, great consistency. Um, also uh, there was a, a moment I was flying back I was somewhere in England. I'm assuming it was back from London because I think Hughes at that point was at Fulham mm-hmm. and he was reporting back for international duty and led like a captain should. He was wearing his, he flew just like, he wasn't in business class or anything, like flying back from London to mm-hmm. Belfast mm-hmm. and he was wearing his um, like uh, a, a Northern Ireland tracksuit. Because he yeah. was he was he was report and I, I was just like that's 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 classy and he yeah. talked yeah. to everybody on the plane that came up to him and yeah. I was like yeah that's 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 a model professional professional and then I went with went with Pat McCourt the the round off my, my Irish five side team um, again just a very talented player um, just maybe maybe again born in the wrong country but he'd been appreciated other places people always say that but just I just think Pat McCourt had something just special that and on a fa- Pat McCourt playing five aside like I mean that's all you'd need give the dairy the dairy pal a you know the, the ball <laughs> in around that box and uh uh I'll take him in a, in small sided over over 11 v 11 any day so um, yeah that's 
Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. And now can you tell us your worldwide five-a-side team? Is anyone keeping their place? Well, yeah. There's there's two players that I, I, I could have picked, Michael. I've kind of I've kind of now talking about rose-tinted glasses, sort of as of the more I've sort of um, got into coaching and sort of looked at football a bit more. Schmeichel was very dominating, but I think I think he was just a dominating person. I, I wouldn't even put Schmeichel uh, if you'd asked me in the nineties, like it was you know, Peter, or even in the two thousands, I would have said Peter Schmeichel is the greatest goalkeeper ever. Mm-hmm. But again, I sort of even think Van de Sar has, has surpassed him in in many regards now. Um, in my eyes, so I, I stuck with Shea Given just again mm-hmm. just because of the consistency give and give. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't think there's a better defender ever than Paolo Maldini. Um, yeah. so and again to consistently watch him uh, that was when again we spoken about it earlier how we just in, ingest football in the UK and Ireland so much different remember when um, Channel 4 in the 90s picked up the Italian football and, yeah. and then all of a sudden everyone was running around schools wearing AC Milan tops and Juventus tops like, but, but, but it was the influence that we had from, from watching these Italian football on a Sunday, you know, yeah. um, and uh, uh, so yeah, Maldini for sure. Um, Roy King goes; he's the captain. Goes 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 to say, um, Ryan Giggs for me was just uh, I'm a, he was sort of the player. My, my my father always described Ryan Giggs as a classy footballer, um, mm. and just Giggs in his prime, just running at people. Um, there wasn't many better, and for him to do it consistently at that highest level, uh, I always wonder. Remember when he was linked with Inter Milan? Mm-hmm. Um, I always wonder if he'd left, how he would have done. I think that unlike some of the other players that went abroad, I do think Giggs would have would have made it because um, mm-hmm. he was just that good of a footballer. Yeah, um, quality. Yeah, and then finally, just the forward for that five-a-side team was Roberto Baggio. Um, again, just sort of the the influence of Italian football uh, on on me growing up. Um, Baggio was again just you you hadn't seen a player like Baggio playing in the in the Premiership. Um, so when when I sort of got exposed to um, you know, football on Channel Four on a Sunday. Like he, it was players like him that, and you know, Toddy, uh, um, that um, Gabriella Battistuta. Like the, the, you just mm. the, this whole world of 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 all these foreign footballers were just like, and then 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 that's why you know, England uh, just were never because they, they weren't producing players like that. Um, and uh, so yeah, so Baggio for me sort of rounds up the. Winds up that team, and and uh, I got to see. I was at the 90, 1994 World Cup um, with my dad watching watching Ireland play, and I was there in Giant Stadium when uh, Ireland beat uh, Italy one nil. And um, mm-hmm. one of, one of the highlights of that game was Paul McGrath marked Roberto Baggio out of the game, and Paul McGrath yeah. had two dodgy knees yeah. and was unfortunately a full-blown alcoholic and he was yeah. better he was better than one of the best players in the world yeah. at that time you know like going, what what a player he could have been you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah yeah for a small yeah. island for a small island we've produced some talent you know haven't we just yeah. well, that's fantastic well final question who do you recommend that we have on a future episode of the tw sports group podcast 
Well, I'm, 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 I'm still in contract negotiations with him, but a very, again, the, the soccer community out here uh, is, is, a, is a small one, especially um, Irish coaches and, and even then smaller uh, Northern Ireland coaches, but a uh, very good friend that, that is very big on, on, on social media platforms and, and, and the soccer world, but Gary Kernane, uh, oh, originally from Oma. Um, out here working working in the NWSL at Racing Louisville um, will be my recommendation. So Gary, but Gary like myself is in season right now. So uh, yeah, so we'll see we'll, we'll we'll see what we can do there. But yeah, Gary Gary would be a great great guy to talk to and somebody who's who is um, taking a very different path from from a lot of people. And 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 I just love how Gary sees the game and uh, how he. He's very much a coach's coach. He likes getting information out there to out there to the world. So uh, I think Gary would be a great guy to talk to. Brilliant. Yeah, I enjoy following Gary on social media. So that's super. Well, listen, Stephen, thank you for your time and coming on to the podcast to tell everybody about your journey. Uh, we'll let you get back there to plan your session this morning. Appreciate it, Tim. Thanks for your time. Always good to catch up with you. Take care and see you yeah. soon, my friend. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to Stephen McKenna and thank you to everyone for listening. Please remember to subscribe to our weekly podcast and share with your friends. If you can also give us a review, it would be great. You can get in touch for a shout out by emailing tim at twsports.org. Just put podcast in the subject box. If you'd like to support the podcast and receive my weekly video training sessions, become a patron now at patreon.com forward slash twsportsgroup. You can support us from as little as £3 per month and you gain access to the library of training sessions. Thanks for listening. I'm Tim Waring and I'll be back next week with another episode on the TW Sports Group podcast. Speak then and take care.